But uh, I have to say, before I introduce the series, last night was so good. The Night of Hope. Um, if you weren't able to attend, uh, three people shared their stories about how awesome God is. I cannot even begin to do justice for retelling their stories. I'll let you watch it on Facebook. But I will share an observation. As um, they were telling their stories, uh, there was a theme that ran through each one. And at least to me, in each case, they told stories of going through extremely difficult times. Uh, a time so low in their life where they were absolutely dependent on God. I'm, I mean, I mean, to the point of if, if God doesn't come through, I'm gone. And in each case, God was faithful, God was gentle, God was present, God was generous. And it just touched my heart. There were a few times where I was just moved to tears inside as they were standing up here in health, sharing this story about how God is, how God is awesome. That's, you know, it reminds me of uh, just, there's a particular part of God's heart that I want us to get um, that I think was expressed so well last night that uh, when, when we're really in need, when we have a deep, deep need, uh, God is, he's patient and he's kind. I think the best word I can think of is God is compassionate and he's there for you. And I was just so touched to just see God's gentleness and kindness when people were at their lowest. You know, it reminded me when I was a younger Christian, people would come up to me in church and they would say, God gave me a verse for you. He wants you to know that a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not stuff out. I'd be like, what is that? And then somebody else would come up and share the same verse. And another person would come up and share the same verse. Another person, God will not break... God will not break a bruised reed. He'll not snuff out a smoldering wick. I'm like, why is everybody telling me this verse? And the reason I didn't get it is because I didn't realize, and you know, sometimes it's harder to see from the inside out. I didn't realize that I was the smoldering wick. I was the bruised reed. You know, we're all broken to some degree. There's only one who is perfectly whole. The rest of us are, are following after him to become like him. But in those days when I was much more broken, God was gracious and merciful. Thank God for his healing and his strengthening um, in each one of our lives. And that, that, I think, describes the heart of God. And that also is a preview to our message today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are kind and that you are gentle. You are caring and watching and Lord, I pray that you would enable us to be like you, that you would enlarge our hearts and expand our capacity to be able to love and teach us to be like you, to be patient and to be kind and self-controlled. Lord, would you enable us to be able to love? I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this week... This series is a six-week series in the book of Isaiah. It's going to be an interesting series. The book of Isaiah is vast. 
The topics include predictions about politics in his day and details about the life of Christ who would come 700 years later. Some critics, they deny predictive prophecy by claiming the book of Isaiah was not written 700 years before Christ. They say no one can predict the future. So Isaiah must have been written after the time of Christ. But in 1946, an important discovery was made called the Dead Sea Scrolls. Perhaps you've heard of these. The Dead Sea Scrolls are copies of the manuscripts of the book of Isaiah dated in the second century before Christ. And they were found in a set of caves near Qumran, which is near the Dead Sea. We have a picture for it, picture of it here. And uh, this is where they were found, uh, the majority of them. And these manuscripts did two things for archaeological historians. Number one, they confirmed that Isaiah was written before the time of Christ. And number two, they confirmed that our current copies of Isaiah are the same as the originals. In other words, the copy of Isaiah that you have on your digital device is the same as the original manuscripts that were found in this tomb in 1946. By God's sovereignty, he allowed a fact check. And it's amazing that these copies were preserved for 2,200 years. And do you know how that happened? I'll answer the question with a question. Here's an interesting fun fact. Do you know why you don't need to refrigerate honey? Do you know why honey never spoils? Do you know why you can put it in your cabinet and just leave it there and it's good for years? The reason is, in order for anything to grow, including mold and bacteria, it needs water. Here on Guam, we, all, we know all about mold and bacteria right? <laughs> it's everywhere. It's on every road, every sidewalk. It's on every tree. Uh, but the interesting thing about honey is that it has no water, and therefore nothing can grow in it. As you can see from the photo, nothing is growing around the area of the Dead Sea. <laughs> the weather is extremely dry. In God's sovereignty, he allowed a natural preservation that was discovered 2,000 years later. As I said, the book of Isaiah is vast. Topics include predictions about politics in his day, details about the life of Christ, who would arrive 700 years later. Isaiah also contains details about the new heaven and the new earth at the end of time. And like the apostles Paul and John, it chronicles an experience that Isaiah had when he was taken up into heaven. Isaiah was a prophet and a preacher for 45 years. Isaiah had more to say about the future and the future Messiah than any other prophet. Let me give you a tip about how to read Isaiah, because as you work your way through it, sometimes it can be a little confusing. You're reading along, and then all of a sudden, whoa, it switches. Like, who is he talking to? Who's the writer? Uh, what's the context? I got lost. Well, let me go back. And that happens frequently in Isaiah. And the reason for that is because you know how today modern-day preachers will sometimes post something on Instagram highlighting an important point? Well, Isaiah is kind of like an old-school, low-tech, written version of that. This is a collection of important points that Isaiah preached during his 45-year ministry. And so today we're going to begin in chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. 
This is Isaiah quoting God, who says, When you come to worship me, who asked you to parade through my courts with all your ceremony? Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offerings disgusts me. As for your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath and your special days for fasting, they are all sinful and false. I want no more of your pious meetings. Pious means devoutly religious. I want no more of your devoutly religious meetings. I hate your new moon celebrations and your annual festivals. They're a burden to me. I can't stand them. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. For your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. You know, as I read this passage, I meditated, and I studied, and I read, prayed. I was like, Lord, I don't think there's anything here for us. This isn't us. I mean, we're not the kind, we don't have the church culture here that you would call, you know, devoutly religious. I mean, you guys would be okay if I stood up here in jeans and a t-shirt to preach. Okay, that's just kind of not who we are. I kept looking at this, but just something in my spirit just kept causing me to focus and meditate on this. And then after a while, I remembered something in the practice of discernment. Sometimes you can get lost in the weeds, in the little details. It's easier to discern if you back up to take a little bit bigger view. And so if you back up, one thing you can do, and this is another tip for when you're reading, studying, and trying to apply scripture, is sometimes the examples don't apply. You know, it's a different culture, it's a different set of circumstances, a different language, a different people group. Um, They have a different way of living, and the examples may not relate to us. And what we need to do is not look at the example, but look at the principle. What is the principle represented in the example? Extract the principle and then apply it to today. And so what is the principle that God is pointing at in this passage? Well, in a word, it's real simple. He's saying they're sinful. (laughs) They're full of pride. They think they're it. They're missing the point. But you know, if you keep it too general, then almost it's like there's no traction. Like, how do I relate to this? Like, okay, yeah, sinful. I mean, we all know that. We've been taught that since, you know, ever since. But I think there's kind of a happy medium between pulling back and being too general, getting too detailed and lost in the weeds. But there's somewhere in between where we can take a look at this principle in a way that's relevant to us. I think the Apostle John got it when he spoke about it in 1 John chapter 2. He said, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. We'll just camp here on this verse for a minute. I think this is a very important verse for us to consider. You know, years ago, I would read this, and I would read it, and I would read it, and I'm like, you know, I, I, I don't get it. I don't see how that applies. But just through the desire to seek God and to walk with him and to understand the way life is, began to press in and to, to get an idea that the lust of the flesh refers to the, human, to the bodily appetites. It could be food. It could be sex. It could be the need for sleep. The problem isn't that we have these needs. The problem is when it becomes a lust. The problem is when it begins to control. The problem is when it begins to dominate the lust of the flesh. And so that's one of the things that can, that can get a hold of us. That can take us down a different road. The other part here, it talks about the lust of the eyes. What is that? 
This is the desire for the things that you see. I think a modern-day term that we could relate to better is materialism. Some versions in the Bible call it the spirit of mammon. The spirit of materialism is one of the strongest spirits in the globe today. And it's just, it's a temptation everywhere. The advertisements are calling for us to buy into this. The desire for more, the desire for better. Which, which iPhone do you have? The lust of the eyes. And then lastly, I think this one's a little easier for us, for us to get, is the boastful pride of life. Now, we, we know pride. We know we want to be in control. You know, we want to call the shots. We want to be number one. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. These are three areas of sin. And to make it more relevant to us, I put them in some other ways of describing them. We can go to the next slide. Self could be the boastful pride of life. Sex could be one of those bodily appetites that becomes lust. And then success, the desire for more, can be the lust of the eyes, the materialism. And you can say that a couple different ways, the glory of the girls and the gold, or pride, pleasure, and payroll. But these are examples of how we are constantly tempted by the sinful nature, by this world system that we live in. And God is saying in verse 16, as we read on in Isaiah chapter 1, Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of the orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. And you know there's only one way to do this. If you've been around life in the sun any length of time, you know the only way is to bring those things that the Lord reveals to us that are ungodly, bring it into the light, confess it, ask the Lord to forgive us by the blood of Jesus and cleanse us under the waterfall of his Holy Spirit to purify and sanctify us and to help us enter into our inheritance, that forgiveness, that becoming like Jesus. There's only one way to do this. But it's interesting the way this verse ends. At the very last, it says, I will make them as white as snow. Some translations say whiter than snow. And if you know anything about um, snowflakes, we'll put a picture of one up on the screen. Here's a snowflake. No two snowflakes are alike. It's kind of interesting. It's like people. No two people are alike. Everybody's got a different fingerprint, a different makeup, a different personality, different DNA package. Every snowflake is different. The interesting thing, the one thing they have in common, the only way a snowflake can form, is if there's a speck of dust in the atmosphere for the water crystal to form on. And then another water crystal joins that, another one joins that, and slowly the water crystal builds and grows and becomes something unique. The point is, at the center of every snowflake is a piece of dirt. And God is saying, Come to me, although your sins are like scarlet, I will make you whiter than snow. I will remove every last vestige of defilement. You will be my holy people in Christ. Now, I just want to take a moment um, just for us to pray. We're not done yet. It's just kind of the middle. But if we're feeling any sense of needing to get right with God as we look at his word, um, just join me for a moment in prayer. Lord, we hear you, we see you, 
And Lord, compared to you, we have so far to go. But we thank you, God, that you're gracious and that you're kind and that you came to take our place. Lord, thank you. Thank you for taking our place to forgive us, to exchange our life for yours, to give us a new life in being born again. And so, Lord, we receive this great gift of your righteousness. We ask you to wash away our guilt and our shame, any self-condemnation, any accusation from the enemy. We ask you to just cover us by the blood of Jesus and forgive our sin. And Lord, we ask that you would wash us and cleanse us by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. We just place ourselves as your church under the waterfall of your love and ask you to make us spotless and blameless as your bride. We ask this, and just continue to pray. If you're praying right now, just go ahead and take a moment to just receive God's forgiveness and to receive his cleansing and his healing for anything that has defiled you recently, whatever he brings to mind. Just bring it under his grace and his forgiveness and allow him to remove it from you as far as east is from west. And in the process, come into agreement with God, align yourself with him and say, God, you forgave me for that. And I agree with you, I forgive myself and let it go. Let it go. Lord, we let it go, coming into agreement with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The reason God allows us to let it go is because he's calling us to something bigger, something better. And so the question is, where do we go from here? Verse 17, God says, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, fight for the rights of widows. You know, all of this could fall into a category that we popularly know today as social justice or maybe social responsibility. You know, when God draws you to himself, it's not only for our relationship with him. He also wants you to be salt and light and join him in what he's doing in the world around you. God invites us to extend his power and his love to restore people, to restore circumstances, to restore relationships. You know, when, when we are walking with God, there's a redemptive lift. There's a divine order that gets restored in the environment around us. And God is wanting us to be his representative to bring his kingdom into the world, to restore the world to himself. And so the question comes, okay, well, how do I do that? And I think it's best if you simply let the Lord guide you. I would just be in prayer and seek him and say, God, in my particular circumstances, you know, who are the people, what are the situations around me where I can help? Because that's really the heart of God that I was alluding to earlier by the testimonies last night. If you read that, it says, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, fight for the rights of widows. What do they all have in common? These are people who are in need. These are people who can't take care of themselves. And so ask the Lord God, where is the need and how can I help? So I think it's best that you ask the Lord in your circumstance, you know, what that looks like. But if you need a couple suggestions to think about, to pray about, I want to share with you just two for today. 
And the first one is a group called Friends in Need. And Friends in Need are friends of mine. Uh, we'll put up a photo. Uh, this is Friends in Need. Uh, you see Greg Calvo in the front. He's the one doing the selfie. And his wife, Irene, in the marine blue shirt sh sitting next to him. In the back, in the dark blue shirt on the banner there by the steps, that's Mike Milner. Mike was here last night. Mike was here with his wife, Jennifer. By the way, Mike got healed last night. <laughs> Had a knee injury. He actually stopped running, couldn't squat and bend down last night. He was like, hey, look at this. <laughs> And uh, so Mike and Greg Calvo, they head up Friends in Need, and they feed homeless people twice a week, once on Wednesday, once on Saturdays. Mike does Wednesdays, Greg does Saturdays. And uh, I talked to him, I said, hey, if you guys need help, let me know. He said, oh yeah, we would love help. And so if you feel like God might be leading you to be able to help needy people, this is a ministry that I can highly recommend. People I know and trust. By the way, Mike in the blue shirt back there, um, they're doing a new church plant here on Guam, the Vineyard Church. And uh, they meet on the first Saturday of every month over at the Lutheran Church. Other than, other than that, they're still in small groups because they're just starting. They've only been here six months. They're just getting acquainted, getting to know people. But I'm so excited about a new church plant. The more, the better, in my opinion. There's 170,000 people on Guam, and they're not in this room. <laughs> and so the more, the better. And so Mike and Jennifer, they're starting the new Vineyard Church. Uh, he does Wednesdays with uh, friends in need. And so pray about it. Uh, also in the photo back there, if you notice, that's former Governor Felix Camacho in the Hawaiian print shirt. And so he's a part of that group. Um, also in there is Pastor Manny Calvo. He's the one on the left. And uh, just a good, solid group, um, heart for people. And you want to be a part of that. Um, see me afterwards. I'll give you Mike's number. You can connect with him. And um, that would be a good thing. Uh, you can... Participate in any way you want. Could be donations, give them money, pray for them. Uh, maybe you want to cook food. Maybe you want to deliver food. Maybe you want to interact with the people that they're feeding, share the word of God with them, disciple them. You know, whatever fits for you, there's a place for you to be involved in helping people who are in need. The other example I want to share with you, um, and again, I think it's best if you let the Lord lead you, but if you're looking for opportunities, uh, this next one if you believe God would have you help with the unborn, they are the most helpless of all. And past, uh, Senator Chris Duenas, we can go to the next slide, he is uh, introducing legislation here on Guam called the Heartbeat Bill. And the Heartbeat Bill is legislation that would say once doctors can identify a heartbeat in the fetus, that child has a right to live. And so it's to protect the rights of the unborn. And if you would like to help support that, I want to invite you to uh, come and show support at the Guam Congress building in Aganya. Um, it'll probably be about three weeks out, could be longer. I'll let you know the date and time. But just to come and show support, uh, peacefully, quietly show support and pray. Uh, you could probably take your device and watch it on YouTube as they broadcast it live. Uh, not enough room in the legislative hall for everybody to be in there, especially with social distancing. But we can be there, and, and I tell you, uh, numbers speak. Oftentimes, senators are passing laws that nobody cares about, <laughs> nobody knows about. But when they see a large group of people show up, they take note, uh-oh, this is important, this has traction. 
So these are some, just a couple suggestions. Um, the Lord may have something completely different for you. I don't know what that is, but seek him and ask him how you can help. Lastly, I want to address uh, some possible struggles that we might deal with. Um, one of them that I struggle with, especially when it comes to, you know, you see like homeless people begging for money on the road. You see people in need. You know, oftentimes the thing I struggle with is I'm just so busy. You know, I'm on my way to an appointment. I got 10 minutes left. I'm not going to pull over on the road to be able to whatever. And I think busyness is one of those big things that just gets us. And I want to encourage you to just reevaluate your schedule. You know, sometimes people call and they want to meet and I pull out my calendar and I'm like, Lord, when? You know, and sometimes I just have to bite the bullet and go, okay, today, five o'clock. You know, I've got my, my own stuff and things going on, but, you know, when there's a need, God wants us to be givers like him. Could you imagine if he was up on a stone and said, well, <laughs> I see you guys, but sorry, I'm too busy running the universe. No, that's not what he did. I think busyness is one that we have to kind of check ourselves. The other is, you know, here in the islands, we're kind of copacetic. Everything's easy going. We don't rock the boat. It's not cool to be rude socially. So when you're dealing with social justice issues, like the rights of the unborn, you know, we can kind of be reluctant, like, well, you know, we'll just let the senators handle that. We don't want to rock the boat. You know, sometimes there's a place for that. And sometimes that's not a good thing. Jesus sometimes rocked the boat, and sometimes he rocked it hard. And the question comes, okay, so when do I speak up? When do I do something? When do I say something? And when do I hold back? And Jesus gives us some good examples to follow. You know, when it came to his personal freedoms and his personal rights, he was willing to yield. He was willing to give that up. That's what he did. He was up there in glory. He didn't have to come down, but he was willing to give up that privileged position to be able to come and be with us. And not just be with us. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. And once that transaction took place in the Garden of Eden, within 24 hours, he was crucified on the cross because the wages of sin is death. When it came, up, when it came to giving up his personal freedoms, he was willing to surrender. You know, that... that Another example of that is when the religious leaders, they came and they said, hey, does your leader pay taxes? And can you imagine if somebody came up to you and said, hey, I want to see Pastor Mark's tax records. Can you imagine maybe someone wants to do something on social media, wants to get our church, wants to test? So here are these leaders that are coming to Jesus. Does he pay taxes? You know what his answer was? It just cracks me up. He says that they knew who I was. I made all of this. I don't need to pay any taxes. <laughs> I own it all. But so that they wouldn't be offended, he said, you know what, go take your rod and reel, throw it in the water, catch a fish, there'll be a coin, go give them their taxes. He was willing to yield when it came to his personal freedoms. But when it came to truth, he never backed up. He never stood down. He was always firm in revealing the truth. In fact, he said at one point in John chapter 8, he says, for this reason I came into the earth, to reveal the truth. And so those are a couple tips that will help us in being able to navigate these issues of social justice, social responsibility. What do I get involved in? What should I do? I'm praying that God will use all of this to lead you. Sound good? Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you that you are patient and kind and that you see the needy 
and you care for them. Thank you, God, that you are step-by-step step giving us your heart and your mind and enabling us to join you and be a part of what you're doing. And so, God, give us your heart and mind. Help us to be sensitive and to see the needs. Lord, help us to make the adjustments, the major adjustments in life, to be able to join you and, as we do, experience you. And so if you're praying right now, just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I want to invite you to take a moment to do business with God and just say, Lord, what is it that you would have me do? What is my part? Just take a moment to listen, to seek, and see if he impresses you with something. Say, Lord, what is that for me? Could be with my wife, my kids, my parents, my neighbors, whatever, co-worker. Lord, what is it for me? And as you're praying and seeking, I'd like to address another group that may be here today. There might be some of you, as you're hearing me talk about experiencing God, you've been thinking about that lately. In fact, you sense that maybe God's been trying to get your attention. And so as a result, you've been asking some questions and searching. And so today, you're here because you sense that God is getting your attention. And if you would like to experience God more, but you've never actually made a conscious choice or like a formal decision to say, yes, God, I want to experience you, I'd like to give you an opportunity to do that today. And it's really simple. It really starts with your desire. What do you want? And then expressing that to God. And we'll do that when we pray. But before we pray, um, I'd like to know who I'm praying with. I'll pray out loud. You can just follow along. But I'd like to know who I'm praying with. And if that describes you, if you'd like to invite God into your life, then uh, I have a signal for that. Uh, if you would simply look up when my eyes meet yours, I'll know that we're going to pray together. And so if that's something you'd like to do, go ahead and look up at this time, and then we'll pray together in a moment. Here? Yes? Okay, I see you there. And there? Okay, very good. Anybody else? Okay, I see you there. Good. Anybody else? Don't want to miss anybody. If I scan by you, lift your hand. Here? Oh, here, I see you. Okay, let's pray. Father, I sense that you've been getting my attention recently. And so I'm here now. And God, today I'm making a decision to say yes, to open up, to invite you to be in my life. And Lord, I ask you to forgive me for things I've done that have been hurtful. And I thank you for Jesus, what he did for me, taking my place, forgiving me. And I invite you into my life. I invite your spirit of forgiveness. I invite your son, Jesus, to come into my life and forgive me. And if you're praying this prayer right now, just take a moment by faith to trust God to come into your life and let him be with you. This is the moment he's been waiting for, the moment you are created for, that will change your destiny. God, thank you 
for drawing me to yourself. Thank you for bringing me to this point of saying yes. I ask that you would show yourself to me. I ask that you would reveal your ways to me. Give me a new start. Enable me to live life the way you designed it to be. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give them a hand. If you prayed that prayer, let me ask you to do two things. Number one, tell a friend. You can grow together, learn together. We're better together. We have a little gift for you. It's a little booklet over here called One to One that will help you get started in your relationship with God. We'd like to connect with you and help you do that. And, um, and so, very good for today. God bless you guys. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next Sunday. Hey, bro. As you take